If you enjoyed these podcasts, check out Byron Reese's newest book. It's about artificial intelligence and covers all the topics addressed on Voices in AI. It's called The Fourth Age, Smart Robots, Conscious Computers, and the Future of Humanity. And it's available now wherever fine books are sold. This is Voices in AI, brought to you by GigaOM, and I'm Byron Reese. Today, our guest is Steve Pratt. He is the Chief Executive Officer over at Noodle AI, the Enterprise Artificial Intelligence Company. Now, prior to Noodle, he was responsible for all Watson implementations worldwide for IBM Global Business Services. He was also the founder and CEO of Infosys Consulting, a senior partner at Deloitte Consulting, and a technology and strategy consultant at Booz Allen Hamilton. He's twice been selected as one of the top 25 consultants in the world by Consulting Magazine. He has a bachelor's and a master's in electrical engineering from Northwestern University and the George Washington University. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thank you. Great to be here, Brian. Byron. Let's start with the basics. Uh, what is artificial intelligence and why is it artificial? <laughs> artificial intelligence um, is, um, is basically any form of learning algorithm is the way we think of things. Uh, we actually think the there's a raging uh, religious debate between the differences between artificial intelligence and machine learning and data science and cognitive computing and all of that. But uh, we like to get down to basics and basically say they are algorithms that uh, learn from data and improve over time and are probabilistic in nature. Uh, and uh, so it's basically anything that learns from data and improves over time. So, Kind of by definition, under the way you're thinking of it, is it models the future solely based on the past, correct? Uh, yes. Uh, and uh, generally, when it, when it models the future and uh, sometimes makes uh, recommendations, um, uh, or it will uh, uh, sometimes just explain things more clearly, uh, it typically uses four categories of data. Uh, so there is uh, both internal data and external data uh, and both structured and unstructured data. So you can think of it kind of as a quadrant. Uh, and we think the, the best AI algorithms uh, incorporate all four data sets um, because uh, especially in the enterprise where we're focused, uh, that uh, most of the uh, business value is in the structured data, but uh, usually unstructured data can uh, add uh, a lot of predictive capabilities and a lot of uh, a lot of signal to come up with better uh, predictions and recommendations. So, how about the unstructured stuff? Talk about that a minute. How close do you think we are, or when do you think we'll have like real, true, unstructured learning that you can kind of just point at something and say, "I'm going to Barbados. You figure it all out, computer." Uh, well, I, 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 I think, uh, well, we have versions of that right now. Um, uh, I am uh, uh, an anti-fan of things like chatbots. Um, <laughs> I think that, the, that chatbots are very, very difficult to do, are um, uh, technically, uh, they don't work very well. They're very, generally very expensive to build. And, uh, and humans just love to mess around with chatbots. Um, so uh, I would say in the, in the scoring of uh, business value and 
uh, something that's affordable and is uh, is is uh, uh, is is easy to do. That chatbots is in the 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 worst quadrant there. I think there's uh, a vast array of other things that actually add business value uh, to to companies. But uh, uh, if you want to build an, an intelligent agent using natural language processing. Um, you can, you know, you can do some very basic things, but I wouldn't start there. Well, let me try, let me try my question slightly different then. Um, right now, the way we use machine learning is we say we have this problem that we want to solve. How do you do X? And we have right. this data that we believe we can, uh, we can tease the answer out of it. And then we, we ask the machine to analyze the data and figure out how to do that. What, the, right. it, it seems the inherent limit of that, though, is it's kind of all sequential in nature. Uh, it, there's no element of transfer learning in that where I kind of grow exponentially what, what I'm able to do. I just kind of can do, yes, another thing, yes, another, yes, another. So do you think just the strict definition of machine learning is your, is your thinking of, of AI that way? Is that a path to a general intelligence? Because, or is a general intelligence like, no, uh, that's something way different than what we're trying to do. We're just trying to like... Uh, drive a car without hitting right. somebody. Right. Gen, uh, general intelligence, um, I think, is way off in the future, right? I, I, I think we're going to have to come up with some uh, tremendous breakthroughs to, to get there. I think, uh, I think you can you know, duct tape together a lot of narrow intelligence and sort of approximate general intelligence, but, uh, but there, there, there are some fundamental skills that computers just can't do right now um uh for instance if if i give a human uh the question um you know uh you know will the uh the guinea pig population in peru be relevant to predicting demand for tires in the u.s uh a human would say no that's silly of course not um a computer wouldn't know that a computer would actually have to go through all the calculations, uh, and we don't we don't have an answer to that question yet. So, um, so I think generalized intelligence is way off. Uh, but I think there's some tremendously exciting things that are happening right now uh, that are making making the world a better place uh, in narrow intelligence. Absolutely, and I, I do want to spend the bulk of our time in there in that in that world. But just just to 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 explore what you were saying. Because there's a lot of stuff to mind in what you just said. So that that example you give about the guinea pigs, it's sort of a kind of a common sense problem, right? How it's referred. You know, what uh, am I heavier than the Statue of Liberty, or um, yeah. you know, or, or even so? What do you think? How do you think humans are so good at that stuff? Like, how is it that if I said, "Hey, what would an Oscar statue look like smeared with peanut butter?" Uh, you could conjure that up, even though you've never even thought of that before, or any or seen it covered with seen anything maybe covered with peanut butter. Um, why are we so good at that kind of stuff, and, and machines like are seem amazingly ill-equipped at it? Uh, I, I think humans have constant access to an incredibly diverse array of data sets, and that through time they've figured out patterns from all those diverse data sets. So they are constantly, and you know, we're constantly absorbing new data sets. In 
Uh, in machines, uh, it's a very deliberate and narrow process right now, right? And, uh, and, and so when you're growing up, you're just seeing all kinds of things. And as we, you know, go through our life that we, we, we develop these, uh, uh, you know, you could think of them of, uh, regressions and classifications in our brains, uh, for the vast array of data sets. And, and as of right now, uh, machine learning and AI are given very specific data sets, crunch the data, and then make a conclusion. And so I, I think that's it's somewhere in there. Uh, we're not exactly sure yet. All righty. Last question on general intelligence, and we'll, we'll come back to the here and now. So when I ask people about it, they, they, the range of answers I get is five to 500 years. And I won't pin you down to like a time, but it sounds like you're like, yeah, it's way off. And, and yet people who, who say that often usually say, we don't know how to do it, and it's going to be a long time before we get it. But there's always the implicit um, confidence that we can do it, that it is a possible thing. We don't know how to do it. We don't know how we're intelligent. We don't know how the mechanism by which we are conscious or the mechanism by which we have a mind or, or how the brain fundamentally functions and all of that. But, but we have basic belief that it's all mechanistic and so we're going to eventually be able to build it do you believe that or is it possible that a general intelligence is impossible uh no i don't think any i i i don't think it's impossible um but uh we just don't know how to do it yet i, I think there i think transfer learning has uh there's a clue in there somewhere i think there's um uh a uh, you're you're going to need a lot more memory and a lot more processing power uh, to um, uh, to have a lot more data sets in general intelligence, but I, I think it's way off. I, I think you know some of the there will be stage gates and there will be clues of when it's hap when it's starting to happen, and that's when you can take an algorithm that's trained for one thing and have it, uh, you know, if you can take AlphaGo and then the next day it's, it's pretty good at chess. Um, and the next day it's really good at Parcheesi and the next day it's really good at, uh, at, at, you know, at, at solving mazes, then, then we're on the track. Um, but, uh, but that's a long way off. So let's talk about this narrow AI world and let's specifically talk about the enterprise. So, Somebody listening today is at, let's say, a company of um, 200 people, and they, you know, they do something, they make something, they ship it, and they have an accounting department and all of that. Uh, should they be thinking about artificial intelligence now? And if so, kind of how? How, do they, how should they think about applying it to their business? Uh, a, a company that small, it's actually really tough because, uh, because artificial intelligence really comes into play when uh, it's beyond uh, the complexity that 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 a, a human can fit in their mind. Um, okay, let's so let's up it to 20,000 people. 20,000, okay, perfect. Right, so 20,000 people, uh, there are many, many places in the, in the organization where they absolutely should be using learning algorithms to improve their decision-making. Um, so, uh, I mean, specifically we focus on, we have five applications that focus on the uh, supply side of a company. So that's uh, in materials, production, uh, distribution, 
uh, logistics and inventory. Um, and then on the supply side there, we have five areas also and that's customer product, price promotion, and sales force. All of those things are incredibly complex and they're highly interactive. Um, so within each application area, uh, we basically have uh, applications that, that, uh, that almost treat it like a game, uh, although it's much more complicated than a game, even though uh, games like Go are very complex. Each of our applications uh, does really four things. It, it, it senses, it, uh, it, it proposes, it predicts, and then it scores. Uh, so basically, it senses the current environment. It proposes a set of actions that you could take. It uh, predicts the outcome of of each of those actions, like the moves on a chessboard, um, and then it scores it and says, "Is it did it improve?" Um, uh, and there's two levels of that. Two levels of sophistication. One is, did it improve locally? Like, did it improve your production environment? Uh, or your logistics environment, or your materials environment. And then there's one that is more complex, which is, if you look at that across the enterprise, did it improve uh, uh, across the enterprise? So these are very, very complex mathematical challenges, and uh, and and the difference is, is dramatic from the way decisions are made today, which is basically people getting in meetings with imperfect data on spreadsheets and PowerPoint slides and, and having arguments. And so pick a department and, and just walk me through uh, a hypothetical or a real use case that you've seen uh, the technology applied and have measurable results. Sure. Um, so I can take um, uh, the work we're doing at, uh, at uh, Exojet. Uh, which is the the largest uh, private aviation co- company in the U.S. So if you want to charter a jet, uh, ExoJet is the leading company to do that. Uh, so the way they were doing pricing before we got there was basically uh, old static rules that they had uh, uh, developed uh, several years earlier. Um, and that's how they were doing pricing. Um, and what we did is we worked with them to uh, to take into account uh, where all of their jets currently were, uh, where all their competitor jets are, uh, what the demand was going to be based on a lot of internal and external data, like what events were happening in what locations, uh, what was the weather forecast, um, what was the economic conditions, uh, what were historic prices and results. Uh, and that basically came up with uh, 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 all the different pricing uh, options they could uh, they could come up with, and then basically uh, made a recommendation uh, on 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 what the price should be. Uh, as soon as they put in our application, which was in Q4 of 2016, the EBITDA of the company, uh, which is um, basically the, the net, net margin. It's, um, uh, not quite, but um, went up 5% in the company. Uh, the next thing we did for them was to develop an application that looked at the uh, balance in their fleet, uh, which is, do you have the right jets in the right place at the right time? Uh, and this takes into account uh, having to look at the next day. Where is the demand going to be the next day 
So you make sure you don't have too many jets in low demand locations or, or not enough jets in high demand locations. Uh, and we actually adjusted the prices to create an economic incentive to, uh, to drive the jets to the right place at the right time. Uh, we also, uh, again, there looked at competitive position, which is through FAA data, um, Federal Aviation Administration data. You can track the tail number of all of their jets and all the competitor jets. So you could calculate um, competitive position. Um, and then based on that algorithm, uh, the uh, the length of haul, which is the the amount of hours flown per jet, uh, went up 11%. Um, uh, this was uh, really dramatic and dramatically reduced the amount of deadheads they were flying, which is the amount of empty jets they were flying uh, to reposition their uh, their jets. So that, I think that's a great success story. And there's tremendous leadership at that company, very innovative and uh, and I think it's really uh, transformed their business. So that's kind of a, a classic load balancing problem, right? I've got all these things and I want to kind of distribute it and make sure I have plenty of what I need where. That sounds like a pretty general problem. You could apply it to package delivery or taxi cab distribution or any number of other things. How generalizable is any given solution like from that to other industries yeah, that's that's a that's a great question. Um, so uh, uh, there are a lot of a lot of components of that that are generalizable, and in fact, we've we've uh, we've done that. Uh, we have uh, componentized the uh, the code and uh, and the thinking, um, and uh, can rapidly reproduce uh, applications for another client. Uh, based on that, there's a lot of stuff that's very specific to the client. Um, and of course, the end application uh, is trained on the client's data, so, uh, so it's not applicable to anybody else. It is, it is specifically, uh, the models are specifically trained on the client data. Um, so uh, we're doing uh, other uh, projects in airline pricing. Uh, but the end result is very different um, because the circumstances are different. But uh, but you hit on a, a key question, which is, are things generalizable? Um, it also, uh, one of the other approaches we're taking is around transfer learning, uh, that especially when you're using deep learning technologies, that um, uh, you can think of as that the 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 top layers of a of a of a of a neural net. Uh, can be trained on sort of general pricing techniques uh, and that uh, just the deeper layers are trained on pricing specific to that company. Um, so that's, uh, uh, you know, one of the other generalization techniques because uh, AI problems in the enterprise generally have more sparse data sets uh, than like if you're trying to separate cat, cat pictures from dog pictures. Uh, so it's uh, so data sparsity is is a constant challenge, and so uh, transfer learning I think is one of the the key strategies to uh, to avoid that. So you mentioned in passing looking at things like games, and I've often thought that was like kind of a, a kind of a good litmus test for figuring out where where to apply the technology because games have points and they have winners and they have turns and they have losers and they have, you know, they, they have structure to them. 
So if, if that case study you just gave us was a game, what was the point in that? Was it a dollar of profit? Because you're like, well, the plane could be here or it could fly here where it might have a better chance to get somebody, but that's got this cost. And then, but it wears out the plane. So the plane has to be depreciated accordingly. And so what, what is the game it's playing? How do you win the game it's playing? Uh, well, well, that's that's a really great question. Uh, for actually, just the uh, the the we actually created a tree of metrics, but the at the top of the tree is something called fleet contribution, uh, which is uh, what's the profit generated per period of time for the entire fleet, um, and then you can decompose that down to uh, how many jets are flying um, the. Uh, the length of haul and the um, the yield, which is the amount of uh, dollars per hour flown. Um, there's also obviously a customer relationship component to it. Of uh, you want to make sure that you, uh, if you have really good customers, you can serve them well. Uh, but there are but there are very big differences between uh, games and uh, and and real life real life business uh, that that games have. A finite number of moves. Uh, they are the rules are well defined. There's generally, uh, if you look at uh, uh, Deep Blue or AlphaGo or Arthur Samuels or uh, or even the um, uh, Libratus, uh, all of these were two player two player games. Uh, and in the enterprise, you have typically ten, sometimes hundreds of players in the game. Uh, with undefined set of moves, uh, so it's so in one sense it's a lot more complicated. Uh, so the idea is how do you uh, r- reduce it so it is it, so it is game like. That's a it's a very good question. And so, do you find that most people come to you with a defined business problem, and they're not really even thinking about? I want some of this AI stuff. I, I just want my planes to be where they're going to need to be. Or how is it, what, what does that look like in the organization that brings people to you or brings people to considering an artificial intelligence solution to a problem? Yeah, t- typically it's, it's uh, uh, clients will see our success in, in one area and then want to talk to us. Uh, for instance, we had a really, uh, we have a really great relationship with a, a steel company in Arkansas called Big River Steel. Um, Big River Steel, uh, we're, we're building the world's first learning steel mill with them, uh, which will learn from their sensors and, and, uh, uh, and be able to do all kinds of predictions and recommendations. And it goes through that, uh, you know, uh, sense, propose, uh, uh, you know, predict and then score. It goes through that. Um, so when people hear that story, we get a lot of call from steel mills. And so now we're kind of uh, deluged with calls from steel mills all over the world when they say, how did you do, how did you do that? And, uh, and how do we get some of it? Um, uh, Typically, we, we, people hear about us because of uh, AI. Um, we, we're we're, a, we're a, a, a product company and with applications, so we generally don't go in from a consulting point of view and say, hey, what's your business problem? Um, uh, we will generally go in and say, here are the 10 areas where we have expertise in technology 
to improve business operations and and then kind of uh, will uh, qualify a company if it applies or not. And, and one continue. other thing is that yeah that 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 you know AI is follows the scientific method, so it's all about hypothesis test hypothesis test. So it is possible that uh, an AI application in uh, that works for one company will not work for another company. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's the, 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 the data sets, uh, sometimes it's just a different circumstance. Um, so, uh, you know, I would encourage companies to, uh, be launching lots of hypotheses, uh, using AI. Uh, Your website has a statement quite prominently. AI is not magic. It's data. And, while I, I wouldn't dispute it, I'm curious, what were you hearing from people that caused you to, or maybe hypothetically, you may not have been in on it, but what, what, what do you think is the source of that statement? Well, I think there's a tremendous amount of hype and BS right now <laughs> out there about, uh, about AI and, uh, and people uh, uh, anthropomorphize AI and you see you know, robots with scary eyes and, uh, and, or you see crystal balls or you see things that, that it's all magic. And so we're trying to be explainers in chief and to kind of demystify this and, and basically say, it's just data and math and supercomputers and business expertise. It's all those four things coming together. Uh, and, uh, you know, and and we just happen to be at the right place in history, uh, where there are breakthroughs in those areas. Um, I mean, if you look at, uh, I think computing power, I would sing, single out as the thing that's that's made a huge difference. Um, you know, in April of uh, uh, of of last year, uh, uh, Nvidia released the DGX One, which is their AI supercomputer. We have one of those in our in our data center that uh, in our platform, we affectionately call the beast, uh, which has uh, a petaflop of computing power. Uh, and if you put that, put that in perspective, that the fastest supercomputer in the world in the year 2000 was the ASCII red that, that, that had one teraflop of uh, computing power. And there was only one in the world and, and no company in the world had access to that. So now with the, uh, with the supercomputing that's out there, that the beast has a thousand times more computing power than, uh, uh, than the ASCII red did. Uh, so I think, it, you know, it's, it's, that's a tremendous breakthrough. Uh, it's not magic. It's just, it's just good technology. Uh, the, the math related, the math behind artificial intelligence still relies largely on, uh, mathematical breakthroughs that happened in the the 50s and 60s and of course Thomas Bayes who was a uh, with Bayes theorem who was a philosopher in the in the 1700s uh, there's been a lot of good work recently around uh, different uh, variations on neural nets um, you know we're particularly interested in long short-term memory and convolutional neural nets uh, but uh, but a lot of this is uh, uh, a lot of the math has been uh, uh, has been around for a while. In fact, it's it's why I don't think we're going to hit general intelligence anytime soon. Is because 
it is true that we've had exponential growth in computing power and exponential growth in data, but it's been a very linear growth in mathematics, right? If we start seeing uh, uh, AI algorithms coming up with breakthroughs in mathematics that we simply don't understand, then uh, then I think the antennas can go up. So if we had, um, if you have your, your DGX1, you know, at a petaflop and, and in five years, you know, you get something that's an exaflop that's a thousand times faster than that. Could you actually put that to use? I mean, or is it at some point, you know, the jet company only has so much data and there's only so many different ways to crunch it. Uh, we don't really need, like we have at the moment, all the processor power we need. Is that the case? Or, or would you still pay dearly to get a massively faster machine? Uh, we could always use more computing power, even with even with a DGX one. If you take, um, I mean, for instance, we're working with a distribution company. We're we're, we're generating uh, uh, five hundred thousand uh, uh, models models a day um, for them, uh, crunching on massive amounts of data, and uh, and and you know, if you have massive data sets that you're that you're processing, it's uh, uh, it, 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 it takes a while. Um, I can tell you life is a lot better. I mean, when, uh, in the nineties, we were working on uh, a neural net for the, for the coast guard to try to determine which ships off the West coast were bad guys. And it was very simple neural nets. You'd hit return, uh, and it would run for, it would usually crash. Um, it would run for days and days and days and days be very, very expensive. Um, uh, and, uh, uh, and, 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 and it just, you know, it just, it just didn't work. Cause even if it came up with an answer, the ships were already gone. So we could always use more computing power. Um, I think right now the limitation is, uh, is more on the data side of, of, on the fact that they shouldn't be throwing out data that they're throwing out. Uh, for instance, um, like customer relationship management systems, typically when you have an update to a customer uh, that it overwrites the old data, that is really, really important data. And I think coming up with a, a proper data strategy and understanding the value of data is really, really important. So... What do you think when you when you go so on this theme of AI is not magic it's data when when you go into an organization and um, you know you're discussing their business pro business problems with them what do you think are some of the misconceptions you hear about AI in general because you said it's overhyped and glowing eyed robots and all that but from an enterprise standpoint what is it that you think people are often getting wrong. Uh, I think um, I think there's a lot, there's uh, a couple a couple of fundamental things that that people are getting wrong. One is I think there's a tremendous over reliance and over focus on unstructured data uh, that people are falling in love with natural language processing um, and thinking that that's artificial intelligence. Um, and while it is true that NLP can help with judging things like consumer sentiment uh, or uh, customer feedback or 
trend analysis on social media, uh, generally those are pretty weak signals. Um, and and I, I would say, you know, you know, don't don't follow the shiny object. I think the reason people see that as the success of Siri and Alexa, uh, and people see that as AI. Um, and it is true that those are learning algorithms and those are uh, 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 effective in certain circumstances. Um, I think they're much less effective when you start getting into dialogue. Doing dialogue management with humans is extraordinarily difficult. Uh, and training the, the, the corpus for uh, those systems is very, very difficult. So I would say stay away from chatbots and, and, and focus mostly on structured data rather than, than unstructured data. So uh, I think that's, I think that's, that's a, a, a really big one. Um, I also think that it's uh, that that focusing on the supply side of a company is actually a much more fruitful area than focusing on the demand side, um, other than demand, other than sales forecasting. Um, and the reason I say that is that, like the interactions between inbound materials and production and distribution are. Uh, are more easily modeled and uh, and and can actually make a much bigger difference. Uh, it's much harder to model things like the effect of a promotion on demand, or um, uh, although it's 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 possible to do a lot better than they're doing now, uh, or things like customer loyalty, like the effect of general advertising on brand or on customer loyalty. So I think those are probably two of the big areas. When you see large companies being kind of serious about machine learning initiatives, how are how are they structuring those in the organization? Is there an, you know an AI department or is it in IT or who kind of owns it and how 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 are, are its resources allocated? Are, are is there are there a set of best practices that you've kind of gleaned from it? Uh, yeah, I, I would I would say there are uh, different levels of maturity. Um, obviously, there's uh, the vast majority of companies have no organization around this, and have sort of uh, it is uh, it is uh, you know individuals taking initiatives and experimenting by themselves. Um, uh, I IT in general um, uh, it has not taken a leadership role in this area, and I I, I think. Fundamentally, because that's because the IT departments are poorly designed. Uh, I think like the CIO job needs to be two jobs. There needs to be a chief infrastructure officer and a chief innovation officer. There needs to be one of those jobs is to make sure that the networks are working, the data centers are working, and the and the and and people have computers. Uh, and but the other job is how is it, how are advances in technologies uh, helping companies. There are some companies that have chief data officers. I think that's also caused a problem because they're focusing more on uh, big data um, and less on what do you actually do with those data. Um, I think the most advanced companies, it's, well, I would say, first of all, it's, it's interesting because it's following the same trajectory as, uh, as information technology organization followed in companies. First, it's kind of uh, anarchy. 
then there's a centralized group, then it goes to a distributed group, uh, and then it goes to a federated group. And federated meaning there's a central authority which basically sets standards and 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 direction. Uh, but each individual business unit has their representatives. Um, so uh, I think we're going to go through a whole bunch of gyrations in companies until we end up where most technology organizations are today, which is there's a centralized IT function, but each business unit also has IT people in it. I think that's where we're going. And the last question along these lines, do you feel that either A, um, machine learning is doing such remarkable things that it's only going to gain speed and grow from here, or machine learning is overhyped to a degree that there's unrealistic expectations, and when disappointment sets in, you're going to get a little mini AI winter again. Which of those is more true? Um, certainly there's a lot of hype about it, but I think if you look at the reality of how many companies have actually implemented learning algorithms, AI, ML, data science, across their, the operations of their company, we're at the very, very beginning. If you look at the, a sigmoid or an S-curve, uh, we're just approaching the first inflection point. Uh, I don't know of any company uh, that has fully deployed uh, AI across all parts of their operations. And I, th I think ultimately uh, executives in the 21st century, in the 21st century will have many, many learning algorithms to support them making uh, complex business decisions. You know, I think the company that clearly has exhibited the strongest commitment to this and is furthest along is, is Amazon. And if, and if you wonder, you know, how can Amazon uh, deliver something to your door in one hour? Uh, it's because, you know, there's probably a hundred learning algorithms that made that happen. Like where should the distribution center be? What should be in the distribution center? Which customers are likely to order what? Uh, how many drivers do we need? What's the route the driver should take? All of those things are are powered by learning algorithms, and and you see that you see the difference. You feel the difference in a company that's deployed learning algorithms. You know, I also think, you know, if if you if you look back from a societal point of view, that if we're going to have ten billion people on the planet, we better get a lot more efficient at the consumption of natural resources. We better get a lot more efficient at production. Uh, and, uh, and I think that means moving away from static business rules that were written years ago that are only marginally relevant to learning algorithms that are constantly optimizing. And then we'll have a chance to, you know, get rid of, uh, what Hackett group says is an extra trillion dollars of working capital, basically inventory sitting in companies. And, uh, and we'll be able to serve customers better. So you, you seem like a, a measured person, not prone to um, wild exaggeration. So let me, let me run your question by you. If you had asked people in 1995, if you had said this, um, hey, you know what? If you, uh, if you take a bunch of computers, just PCs like everybody has, and you connected them together, and then you got them to 
you know, communicate with uh, hypertext protocol of some kind. Uh, that's going to create trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars of wealth. It's going to create Amazon and uh, Google and Uber and eBay and Etsy and Baidu and Alibaba and, um, and, and millions of jobs that nobody could have ever imagined and, and, and thousands of companies and all of that just because we're snapping together a bunch of computers in a way that lets them talk to each other. Uh, that would have seemed preposterous. So yeah. I ask you the question, is artificial intelligence, even in the, the form that you, know, you believe is very real and just what you were just talking about, um, is it an order of magnitude bigger than that? Or is it that big again? Or, or is it like, oh, no, just snapping together a bunch of computers pales to what we're about to do? Like, how would you, how would you, how would you put your anticipated return on this technology compared to the, the asymmetrical impact that the seemingly very simple thing had on, on the world. Right. Um, I don't know. It's, hard. It's, 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 it's really hard to say. I know it's going to be huge, right? I, it is fundamentally going to make companies much more efficient uh, it's going to allow them to serve their customers better. It's going to help them develop better products. Uh, it's going to feel a lot like uh, Amazon today is going to be the baseline of tomorrow. Uh, and uh, and it will and and there's going to be a lot of companies that are, I mean we run into a lot of companies right now that just simply resist it, and they're going to go away. You simply will the the shareholders will not tolerate companies that are that are not performing up to competitive standards and the competitive standards are uh, are going to accelerate dramatically and uh, and so you're going to have companies that can do more with less um, and uh, it's going to fundamentally transform business right and 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 you'll be able to anticipate customer needs. You'll be, you'll be able to say, you know, where should the products be? What kind of products should they be? Which, what's the right product for the right customer? What's the right price? What's the right inventory levels? Uh, you know, how do we make sure that we don't have warehouses full of, of billions and billions of dollars worth of inventory? Right. It's, it's very exciting. I think the, uh, it's, it, the business, you know, and, I, and I'm I'm generally really bad at guessing years, right? But but I know it's happening now. I know where I know where the beginning. I know it's accelerating. You know, if you force me to guess, I would say, uh, you know, uh, ten years from now, Amazon of today will be the baseline. Might even be shorter than that, right? If you're not if you're not deploying hundreds of algorithms across your company that are constantly optimizing your operations, then you're going to be, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to be trailing behind everybody and you might be out of business. And yet my hypothetical 200 person company shouldn't do anything today. When is it going to be, when is the technology going to be accessible enough that it's sort of in everything that it's in their, their copier and it's in their, uh, you know, routing software and it's, and like, when is it going to, 
filtered down to so that it really permeates kind of everything in business? Well, I mean, the 200-person company will use AI, but uh, uh, but it'll be in things like, um, I think database design will change fundamentally. There's some exciting research right now actually using predictive algorithms to uh, to fundamentally redesign database structures so that you're actually not searching the entire database, you're just searching most likely things first. Um, so companies will use, you know, uh, AI-enabled databases. They'll use AI in navigation. They'll use AI in route optimization. They'll do things like that. Um, but when it comes down to, uh, you know, for, for it to be a good candidate for AI um, in in helping make complex decisions, uh, it needs to be the answer needs to be non-obvious, right? And generally, with a a two hundred person company. Um, um, you know, having run a, you know, a company that went from two people to 20 people to, you know, 200 people to 2,000 people to 20,000 people, <laughs> I've seen all the stages, right? That, uh, that a 200 person company, you can kind of brute force, like, you know, everybody, you've just crossed Dunbar's number, right? So you, so you, so you, you, you kind of know everything that's going on and you have a good feel for things. And, and, uh, um, so, but I, you know, like, like you said, I think applying it in, um, in using other people's technologies that are driven by AI for the things that I talked about will probably apply to a 200 person company. So, but you, yeah, with your, with your jet company, you did a project and EBITDA went up 5% and that was a big win. And, and that was just kind of one business problem you were working on. You weren't working on where they buy jet fuel or uh, where they print, you know, nothing like that. So presumably over the long haul, the technology could be applied in that organization um, in, in a number of different ways. So if, yeah. if, there, if there's a $70 trillion, we have a $70 trillion economy in the world. What percent, like, obviously it's probably 5% is easy. What percent, it's just like a gut level improvement. Do you think we're looking at like just growing that economy dramatically just by the efficiencies that machine learning can provide? Wow. Um, well, I, you know, the way to do that is to look at an individual company and then sort of <laughs> extrapolate. <laughs> so I would say an, uh, an individual company could uh, well, if you look at the value of companies, right, that's the way I look at it. What's like shareholder value, right, which is made up of revenue margins and capital efficiency. Uh, you know, you know, revenues, uh, you know, I think the revenue, revenue growth, um, could take up, you know, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, could, could probably double from what it is, the growth could double from what it is now. Margins, it'll have a dramatic impact, right? So you have a lot, uh, uh, I, I think you could, uh, you know, uh, if, if you look at all the different things you could do within a company and you had fully deployed learning algorithms and, and gotten away from making decisions on heuristics and averages, you could, uh, I don't know, a typical company, you know, uh, you know, I'll I'll say double your margins. The 
the the home run is in 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 capital capital efficiency, uh, which not too many people pay attention to, um, and is one of the key drivers of uh, return on the best of capital, which is the driver of, of shareholder value. Um, and this is where you can reduce things thirty percent, things like that, and uh, and you know get rid of warehouses of stuff, right? And 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 that allows you to be a lot more innovative because then you don't have obsolescence. You don't have to push products that that don't that don't work. You can uh, develop uh, you know more innovative products. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of good benefits. And then so, you start compounding that you start compounding that year over year, and pretty soon you've you've made a big difference. Right, because doubling margins alone doubles the value of all the companies, right? Uh, it, 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 it would, if you projected that over time, right. yes. Um, uh, yeah, all else so being equal, <laughs> which, which it seldom is. Um, you know, it's funny you mentioned Amazon earlier and all that. And I, I just assumed they had a truck with a bunch of stuff on it that kept circling my house. Cause it's like, you know, every time I want something, <laughs> they're just like, they're knocking on the door. Um, I so thought it was Am- just Amazon me. Prime, Am- yeah, Amazon Prime Now came out, was it last year in the Bay Area? And uh, my daughter ordered a pint of ice cream and a tiara. And an hour later, a guy is standing at the front door with an hour, a, pint of, a pint of ice cream and a tiara. And it's like, Oh, wow. what brave new world that has such wonders in it. So Yes, exactly. There are, um, as we're closing up on time here, there are a number of uh, people that are concerned about this technology and not in the killer robot scenario, but they're concerned about automation. They're concerned about, well, you know it all. Um, Would you say that all of this technology and all of this growth and all of that is good for workers and jobs or it's bad or it's disruptive in the short term, not in the long term? How do you, how do you size that up for, um, you know, uh, somebody who is kind of concerned about their job? Well, first of all, moving through big picture to small picture. First of all, this is necessary for society, right? Unless we stop having babies, <laughs> right? That we, that we, we need to do this because uh, we have finite resources and, and we need to figure out how to do more with less. Um, the, I think the, the impact on jobs will be, will be profound. Um, uh, I think it'll make, a lot of jobs a lot better um, uh, that uh, that's you know in, in AI we say it's augment amplify and automate so uh, right now like the things we're doing at Exajet really help uh, make the people in revenue management a lot more powerful and uh, I think uh, enjoying their jobs a lot more and, and doing a lot less routine research and grunt work so they're they actually become uh, more powerful ones, like they have superpowers. Um, I think that uh, that there will also be a lot of automation um, as AI. There are some tasks that AI will just automate and just do do without human interaction. Um, a lot of decisions, in fact, most decisions are better if they're made with it, an algorithm and a human uh, to bring out the uh, the best of both. 
So I, I will, I, I do think there's going to be a lot of dislocation. I think it's going to be very similar to what happened in the automotive industry. And you're going to have uh, pockets of dislocation uh, that are, uh, that are going to uh, cause issues. You know, obviously the, the one that's talked about the most is the driverless car. And, and uh, if you look at all the uh, truck drivers, you know, that I think, you know, probably within a decade that most cross country trucks are going to be, there's going to be, you know, some person sitting in their house in their pajamas with nine screens in front of them. And they're going to be driving nine trucks simultaneously, just monitoring them. And, and that's the number one job of, of, uh, a, uh, adult males in the U.S. and so, uh, so we're going to have we're going to have a lot of uh, displacement. I think we need to take that very seriously and and get ahead of it as opposed to chasing it this time. Uh, but I think overall, this is also going to create a lot a lot more jobs uh, because it's uh, going to make more more successful companies and successful companies hire people and expand. And I think there's just going to be better jobs. And do you think that, so you're saying it all eventually comes out in the wash that we're going to have more better jobs in a bigger economy and that's broadly good for everyone, but there are going to be bumps on the road along the way. Is that what I'm getting from you? Yes. Yes. And, and I think it'll actually be a net positive. Uh, I think it'll be a, a net significant positive. Um, but you know, the, uh, it is a little bit of, uh, as economists would say, creative destruction. So there's, uh, you know, as, as you go from agricultural to uh, to industrial to knowledge workers towards, you know, sort of a, an analytics-driven economies that uh, um, that are there are always massive disruptions and. Uh, you know, I, I think one of the things that we really need to focus on is education, uh, and um, and also on uh, on uh, trade schools. Right? There's still going to be there's going to be a lot more need, a lot a lot larger need for you know plumbers and carpenters and those kind of things, right? And also, um, if I were to recommend what someone should study in school. Uh, I would say study mathematics, right? That's going to be the the core of the breakthroughs in the future. It's interesting. You know, the, um, Mark Cuban was asked that question also with, you know, he says the first trillionaires are going to be um, in AI. And he said philosophy. Um, because in the end, what you're yeah, going to well, need are, are what the people know how to do. What, what people, only people can impute value and only people can, can, well, I, 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 I mean, I would also say behavioral economics, mm. right? <laughs> right? Understanding what humans are good at doing and what humans are not good at doing. So, uh, you know, we're big fans of Kahneman and Tversky and more recently Thaler. Um, and when it comes down to how humans make decisions and, and so I think understanding, understanding the, uh, you know what what skills humans have and what skills uh, algorithms have. It's very important to understand that and to optimize that over time. All righty. Well, that sounds like a good place to to leave it. I want to thank you so much for um, 
a wide-ranging show with a lot of practical stuff and a, and a lot of uh, excitement about the future. So thanks for being on the show. Yeah, my pleasure. I enjoyed it. Thanks, Byron. If you enjoyed this episode of Voices in AI, please check out the other ones. And in addition, Byron Reese hosts another podcast about AI called the AI Minute. Every day, it's a minute or two of daily reflections about AI. It's available wherever you find your podcast of choice. And in addition, it's an Alexa skill. So it can be part of your flash briefing every day if you own an Alexa device.